that makes me think of, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Rob Nixon's slow violence and environmentalism of the poor. Um, but I mean, he talks about this idea of, um, you know, if we're not committed to the idea of kind of addressing, um, climate change and, um, you know, the harmful practices that we engage in, um, we're never going to resolve it, right? Um, it's this idea that uh, because we can't see the violence that is occurring, um, you know, outright, um, that we kind of brush it off to the side and say there are things that take priority over this. Um, and I think in some ways that is a very tempting response uh, because, you know, these um, kind of micro aggressions or, or kind of nuanced violence um, that's taking place uh, within the environment and 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 within you know other parts of um, our society um, that sometimes we deprioritize them. Um, but it it kind of goes back to something, Esther, that you said at the very beginning um, that this isn't really like a checklist of of things that we can just say, you know, I did it, I did my service. Um, it's done for the day, but that we really need to be committed to the long haul because it's not going to be something um, that we see resolved in our lifetime, but but that can reformulate those structures um, and, and kind of reevaluate the things that we have in place right now um, and hopefully kind of dismantle, but also rebuild um, to something productive in the future. Um, and that we can't really afford to deprioritize these things anymore that we kind of need to be able to accept and address and, and move forward with them. Um, because, you know, at, at some point it'll be so violent that we can't imagine it, right? Like it, things will get worse um, if we don't address them now. And I, and, and again, it's not going to happen if we just say, you know, I did my, my task for the day. I did my service for the day. It requires a full commitment. It requires that, that radical solidarity of committing, um, to making those changes. Can I, can I respond a bit here? Yeah. Um, Abby, just like, I think you're so spot on because, you know, we get into this practice of like, Hey, we need to save the environment. And, um, also, like I have this American dream where I'm going to go to college, I'm going to study, I'm going to graduate, I'm going to have money, I'm going to buy myself a house and a car, and I'm going to travel to all these places, right? And so we're trying to work with this sort of like, uh, oh, climate change is a thing, but also like capitalism is also important for me, right? And if capitalism is something that is very local and very serious and, and like climate change it's kind of distant and you know if i could do it i would but, but i don't want to give this other part up and then interesting thing which is i think is important particularly for christians is to acknowledge like um like kind of capitalism it's it's a it's a is a continuation of 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 christianity and in particular of calvinism right of the protestant work ethic that's on my thought max baver one of the founding pairs of sociology has a whole writings on, on, on all the tenets of uh, the Protestant work ethic being the moral code that sustains capitalism. But capitalism requires us to um, essentially take two things for granted, that the world is full of infinite resources and the world 
is the infinite garbage can, both of them which are not true. And also that if we do care for people, um, capitalism requires to take something from others to be able to generate wealth in other places outside of those places. There's an extractive component of it that is violent. And so it's like we want to work on climate change and we feel like, oh, we, we, I'm Christian and I care about the environment and I see soul on everything and it just feels good and it feels like a temple. But then are we willing to examine, like critically examine as well? Like, you know, there's other things as well that are really important to me. Like, you know, I have a, my Subaru outside that I'm paying for, but that also it's a gas guzzler, right? Like how much am I willing to give that up, right? Uh, and so what is my faith here, right? Is my faith really around the environment or is it really capitalism? And in some ways, the most powerful faith that is generating the activism, which we would just call normal life, is capitalism. And that's why a lot of like radical um, Christian movements, but also like, you know, you can say also other movements, but radical Christian movements in particular, like liberation theology, the Catholic worker movement, the Anabaptists, um, you know, they all have, a, uh, the Quakers, they all have a critique and a very important critique of capitalism as a way that of, of immoral human relationships, right? So how do we live into, how do we have the prophetic imagination to not only like call to reality the 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 contradictions that Christ, the capitalism brings to us living our christianity but also how do we energize the culture the norms the values the practices that allow us to live into our christian ideals right hence why we're activists as well why i think as christians we would want to be activists right to be able to energize that sort of new prophetic reality. And I, I love that. I feel like um, there's so much complexity in this and particularly in Mormonism because there are so many uh, ways that the church has experimented with socialism and alternative you know, with, communities. Yeah. Yeah. Mutual aid and, um, and all of that. And so there are definitely traditions that can be drawn from in the history of Mormonism. And those, those traditions were created through genocide and stealing of land of indigenous people. And so there's like layers that need to be peeled back in, um, I think, uh, in Mormon history to do the healing that needs to be required to do the shadow work that, um, Mormonism needs to do uh, to address the harm that's been done to the land and the 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 um, original stewards and continuing stewards of this land, uh, the native people who live here, and and also to bring back some of those traditions um, that were anti-capitalist and. Yeah, see, like, what is the what was that point when the church decided to sell out <laughs> in order to gain political power? You can and read well, uh, David O. McKay and the Rise of Modern Mormonism. It's got some uh, good seats oh, yeah. in there about <laughs> about kind of our contemporary uh, church. No, I uh, I really I love uh, the turn this conversation has taken. Um, as 
as our listeners will know, I'm a great fan of Richard Rohr. And Richard Rohr, he's a Franciscan. And the Franciscan order is an alternative community of, of Catholicism, right? That they, you know, they take vows of poverty that St. Francis of Assisi very much was, he took a, he, he very much identified himself with the, the poorest of the world. Um, and uh, something that I know uh, is said a lot on uh, in, you know, uh, Richard Rohr's work is that if, if something is beyond critique, it will soon become demonic to you. Um, and so it's something that I know uh, is a huge strain in, I, not necessarily, I don't, I don't think we, we need to delve too deeply in this. It could be an entire episode of its own. Um, but that I think uh, certain forms of, of, of activism or of social justice, you know, when we consider, uh, that they might be labeled as socialism or they might be labeled as capitalism, right. That I think these labels, um, if they trigger something inside of us that we're like, Whoa, 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 whoa. I can't hear anything bad about, I can't have capitalism critiqued in my presence without me saying something about that. Maybe, maybe that you should examine that. I mean, I'm talking to the listeners now, um, but like examine that in your heart that, uh, if, if something is so, if it's like a sacred cow to you that we can't take an honest look at and, and critique, honestly, the, the, the systems of power and the systems of, of transaction that we, that we are so intertwined in, then we'll be blind to it. And we'll be blind to the ways that they impact people in our communities. Um, this summer I, uh, I read a, I read a book and it kind of reframed, I mean, it reframed the, the way that I think about sin. And I, I think we, we, we think about sin as an individual thing that we're breaking some law, we're breaking some commandment. And it's something that exists here inside of me, but, uh, it was kind of reframed cause you know, in, in, especially in uh, Mormon cosmology, we believe in a communal salvation, right? That, that, you know, that, that exists so strongly in our, uh, in our work for the dead and in our, our emphasis on families that salvation in heaven is something that we do as a community. Um, and that I, all of a sudden it dawned on me as I was reading this book, um, called, uh, the world, the flesh and the devil. Um, that's what it was called. Um, that sin is also something that we do as, as a community. And it's my participation in these systems of power and of transaction that we've talked about that I can't help but participate in just by existing. Right. That like, like Luis, I have a Subaru too. And you're right. It, it has, you know, it, it guzzles its gas. Um, and they're like, I'm wearing clothes that were made likely through some exploitative practices, um, and increase the fossil fuel that, that I, my very existence as a human being would is almost there. It's almost a, a tragedy in itself that we cannot fully extricate ourselves from this system. Um, and I think that in acknowledgement of that tragedy, the, the, the tragic nature of, or the, the tragic sense of life, I guess, um, is a, is a really fabulous place to like, you know, that's, it's heartbreaking in some way. It's heartbreaking to realize that I can't, you know, I'm, I'm an imperfect practitioner of my own activism, <laughs> right? Um, and that really, it wounds me. It hurts me. Um, but, uh, and Luis, you said at the beginning, you know, uh, you, you mentioned forgiveness. And uh, I think that ultimately, I think that's what I need extended to me 
as I even participate in my own work in my own life is that I need for the forgiveness of the, you know, from the earth, I need, uh, trust me, do I want the earth's forgiveness? <laughs> but, uh, I want, I need forgiveness from the people that I work with. I need forgiveness from the people that, that, uh, you know, the, that are in these movements with me. Um, and, uh, I need forgiveness for the people who are standing on the other end of that as well. Um, who might not think that our activism is a great idea. Right. Um, but that, that forgiveness is the, uh, kind of the, the, the soothing bomb. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts to, to that? Yeah. I mean, so you were just talking to your audience about, you know, not letting words get in the way of, <laughs> of, uh, ideas. Right. And, um, I kind of want to talk to the community organizers who might be listening <laughs> because um, I think that if we are using words that our communities can't, can't see the, um, the ideas behind them, the intentions, then we need to, we need to use different words. Like don't use the word socialism. <laughs> if that word um, triggers your community or, you know, as a backlash, like, there are other ways of sharing those ideas. And I think for me also, um, I've been talking more about organizing, community organizing as, this isn't everyone's role as a community organizers, you know, there's a variety of tactics and, and different interventions. Um, but I think that if you really are trying to um, guide a community into shaping change, um, that uh, I, I like to think of my role and I'm definitely like trying to live into this. I wouldn't, I'm still becoming in my role as a community builder and organizer, but um, Luis has heard me say this and his, <laughs> uh, but it's really a role of like being a doula. And in the same way as, you know, a doula supports someone, um, a birth doula supports someone in the process of giving birth to some, to a, a human, um, and, you know, is their advocate and, um, helps them have a more holistic experience. Um, I think that's, you know, the kind of community organizer I want to be. And I know that that requires like letting go of these purist politics that get in the way of, um, of people connecting to their own experiences and connecting to <laughs> the reality of what's happening in the world around them. I mean, you know, we have an onslaught of our, our society is like structured around this illusion of reality and distortion of reality and just straight up lies being told in, in, you know, on the news and pulpits everywhere. And, so I see our role as really like helping to um, help people grasp, you know, uh, what's actually happening and the reason why it's happening. And, and I think that also means helping people let go of shame so that they can step into accountability. And um, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Uh, Luis invited me to a training that um, Kazuhaga and the East Point Peace Academy did where they kind of dug into that. And um, if Luis wants to talk about that more, <laughs> I'll let you kind of <laughs> do that. But um, yeah, I, I don't, 
want, I am not a perfect person (laughs) and I don't want to be put on a pedestal of a perfect person. And I definitely don't, I'm not going to do that to my own community or or I'm going to try not to. Um, There's a really good essay by Prentice Hemphill called Letting Go of Innocence. And I really recommend folks or let it, yeah, letting go of innocence. And I recommend folks look, uh, look that up. And I also just picked up the book, We Will Not Cancel Us and Other Dreams of Transformative Justice by Adrian Ray Brown. Um, that has some very controversial, controversial things in there. Some people may not agree with, but, um, yeah, I think that this is a conversation that's starting to, that's, been ongoing in our community, but I feel like it's really having kind of a moment of getting into the mainstream and more people recognizing that um, none of us is perfect and that to try to live up to that is actually white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalist (laughs) ideal. I'm I'm just thinking, thinking about that question of like words, like like last week I was I was training um, some of my team of of community organizers around like doing an actor map, but everything in the reading said stakeholder map, um, and uh, the history on the word stakeholder comes from like uh, you know the colonial um, era of this country where uh, the people who could actually own land were people that owned stakes. And the people that could own stakes were non-Indigenous, non-Black, property-owning folks or people that could own property. And so there's an exclusionary, like, root to that word, but yet we use it in organizing all the time. And I'm like, uh, can we we animate some other way of, like, going around that? And sometimes, you know, people say Black Lives Matter, and it's also important to acknowledge that. But I think more deeply than that, it's like it's like conservative, you know, liberal, you know, whatever socialist, whatever words we might come up with, like I feel like they really don't have much meaning outside of our personal experiences. And I feel like we sometimes get really stuck on like, oh, but but look at this theory, right? And look at this theory. And the fact is that we're never gonna be able to convince anybody else. But we can resonate with with one another, right? And I think that's where can we talk about our stories? Like, what has been my experience? Um, like, what has been my experience as a member of, of of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints as a male who um, you know does not come from like a full you know member family, right? And like that has all these um, expectations put on him as a cis or male and how that affects me and also like the stories listening to stories of other people on how things are are happening for them and so i feel like the news and like um there's like a there's like a very public process that detaches us from reality but what if we were to just reconnect with that and just come into conversations with you know humility um with curiosity um with kindness, but not necessarily agreement, right? And uh, and and how would how would it look different to have these conversations within our faith communities to kind of really root out what's really happening and, and organize around that? 
So I kind of want to answer the first question that you asked again, because Abby, um, you brought up again, just this like need for us not to think about activism as a checklist and um, to have a long view. And I think the reason why faith communities should be <laughs> more involved in this process is because the, because they actually already have structure and infrastructure for that kind of sense-making and storytelling. And um, what I've seen in the almost decade that I've been actively organizing, the people of faith who are actively part of spiritual communities um, that I've met who are organizers, they are able to sustain their commitment much longer. And that doesn't, that's not to say that there isn't burnout in those communities or like this, you know, I've definitely, especially kind of in older uh, <laughs> faith communities, there's still very much a like, you gotta work until you work yourself into the ground, which I, I feel like um, younger generations are starting to break that down a bit. But um, yeah, I just see how um, the people who have an active spiritual practice, even if it's a variety of practices and a collective space to practice, um, they're able to stay in the game a lot longer. And um, yeah, and I think that that's what we need <laughs> in order to really give birth to the world that we want is we need a lot of people committed over a long period of time. Esther, you raise a really good point. Um, and it's something that I was uh, actually gonna, gonna ask is that, uh, you know, when I, when I was first hired on at SUA, they specifically told me, don't get burned out because this work is hard, right? The, it's this, I mean, I made a reference to Sisyphus, you know, earlier on, um, but it, activism work is kind of, you know, like pushing a boulder up a hill indefinitely. Um, and rarely do we get to see the sunshine burst through the clouds, um, except for occasionally we do. And when we, the, the, when those moments happen, they're, they're worth celebrating. Um, so my question, I guess, is how how do you guys protect yourselves from slipping into hopelessness or conversely slipping into anger or resentment? Because I feel like those are the two chasms on the, on, you know, either end of the, the blade of activism, <laughs> uh, that how, you know, what, what do you do to protect yourselves from that, uh, from happening? I'm, I do have something, um, that I would say like, just like, to have a to inject like a like a trauma aware trauma informed sort of like you know framework into conversations like anger resentment hopelessness they're not bad things you know they're sacred wonderful nourishing companions right that are there meant to help us right the question is when we're experiencing uh, these emotions 
but we don't really know where it's coming from. And then we're all of a sudden acting out of them and we're acting like aimlessly into the sky because we're trying to address that by like not feeling because I'm doing a lot of work because now I feel good about myself, but I still feel like I haven't resolved things. And I feel like that's where, that's, that's where for me, like um, acknowledging that I'm in this work, not to go out and help other people per se, but I'm in this work for my own as well, personal salvation, right? For my own, for my own wellness. And, and I think that um, part of spiritual practice is, is uh, acknowledging, like, uh, I think, uh, acknowledging our shadows, how they show up, um, how, um, you know, you know, contemplate, um, journal, talk to mentors, pastors, bishops, friends, loved ones, you know, um, and, and figure out as well how I'm not like falling into some of the very toxic notions that Christianity and faith can bring, like saviorism, like, you know, I have a keyword, like a buzz, not a buzzword, a is it a code word? Is that, I don't know, the safe word I would <laughs> use sometimes of like hero mode. Am I on hero mode? Am I like on <laughs> martyr mode? Like I'm going to save everybody. You're going to be good because I'm going to work crazy overtime and whatnot, as opposed to like just acknowledging that I don't have power over everything. I will not be able to change everything overnight. And then it's okay, right? And And so I think that some of these things, can come from spiritual practice and also that um, our faith communities, because of the way that things have been codified, can lead us into paternalizing hero mode-esque ways of being. Um, but to me, like that component of mindfulness is very important because it's like, if I'm acting in the space, like, like, oh, I'm really upset about what's happening right now in, you know, in this place, you know, whatever it is, okay. Um, but where's that emotion coming from? What is my story around that? Do I have one or am I feeling for somebody else? And if I'm feeling for somebody else, like, uh, what is my role here? Like, just like continuously going back to my body and figuring out whether am I really present here or is it something else, my shadow really showing up here? Um, that's kind of a bit of how I think of it and, and try to listen to it compassionately when, when I noticed it. Thank you. Yeah, I really resonate with that. I, I was also going to answer, I, I don't keep myself. I mean, I'm trying, I'm very much trying not to keep myself from um, from diving into my shadows. Uh, I'm, I definitely am kind of an internal optimist and um, have in the past and still sometimes played like a cheerleader role in organizing spaces and in my life. Um, Cause yeah, it's just, I'm a naturally a uh, glass half full <laughs> kind of person. Um, but yeah, lately, especially this year with like so much, um, so much happening um, in order for me to grow, I've had to dive deep in, into myself and what's kept me from what's like helped me come back are my relationships and 
And I'm trying to, in my organizing, I'm trying to create space for people to show up wholly, fully. And that means also creating space, collective space to feel those emotions, collective space to feel anger and sadness and grief. Um, that's really important to me because I'm someone who, um, having been raised <laughs> in the Mormon church as a woman, um, and taught to very much like suppress a lot of my emotions um, or, you know, pretend like everything's going to be, everything's fine. Um, I have to be in practice around that. And in order for me to feel permission to feel all my feelings, I, it's very helpful for me to see other people feeling their feelings and to be in a space with other people feeling their feelings. So I love it when people cry in meetings, um, especially when I'm not the facilitator, I will, <laughs> I will say when I'm facilitating, I'm like, oh shit, I gotta like, you know, navigate all everyone's collective experience around feelings. But um, yeah, I love it when people cry because it gives permission for more people to cry. And, um, and when people feel anger, you know, um, I think that's, that can be very helpful and generative as well. And one of the reasons why I love like, or not love, why I will sometimes go to street protests um, is to feel, is because I have to release something and, um, and to do that collectively can sometimes feel safer than um, to do that alone and, you know, be reactive. Though, you know, there's also that can also be an unsafe space. Um, this is where the Healing Resistance by Kazuhaga um, is, a, is a recommended read because uh, yeah, he digs into like, you know, the questions of what would it look like if street protests were a space that felt like church? I'm, I wanna just, follow up on something you were just saying a moment ago, uh, Esther, which is just like that, you know, yourself feeling more like a, like an optimist, right? And I feel like on my side, I, I feel like I'm the opposite. I'm the pessimist. Things are not gonna work. This is gonna be bad. This is not gonna, you know, like, oh, you know, Biden got elected. Kids are probably still gonna be in cages, you know, like we're still gonna be bombing other places. Jeff Bezos is still going to become uh, maybe the first trillionaire. Who knows, right? Like, there's all that stuff. But I feel like what's what's valuable here is that is that I think we're sometimes used to like like faith necessarily has to lead us towards optimism, or maybe like in the case of Catholicism, everything is pessimism because you know <laughs> original sin and your whole life is about paying that. But I feel like that's like a that's like a polarity happening there, mm -hmm. um, and. One pole and the other is, I don't know if it's necessarily healthy. I feel like there's like this, this center groundedness, which I think is the virtue here, grounding ourselves in the present and the reality. Um, and so, and I feel like that's a toxic notion that sometimes we have, uh, particularly like in, in faith communities, where we feel like, oh, this has to always be perfect. It always has to be great. Or like everything really sucks. The whole world is burning down. Look at all this iniquity happening. I am coming with impure thoughts. Like, like I don't know if either one of them is the case. And and I just just wanted to like you know like oh I'm just noticing that in myself. Like 
I'm a bit of a pessimist, and it's my coping mechanism. So uh, I'll, I'll admit it. I'm a recovering pessimist. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Now Thanks. this this makes me think of. I actually was just talking about this with a friend over the weekend, but um, kind of this idea of polarity and. Um, and it makes me think of, I think it's F. Scott Fitzgerald who said it, um, but I think it's kind of an Aristotelian and perhaps Christian existentialist um, kind of notion. But this idea that true wisdom um, is being able to sit comfortably um, with two opposing thoughts. And I think I brought that up in previous episode. Probably. Maybe. Um, so if I'm getting redundant, sorry, but <laughs> just this idea that you know, we don't always need to have it be one way or the other, like you said, Luis, that 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 we can exist um, with those kind of contradictory notions as being true and present in our lives, right? That, um, you know, both good and bad exist, um, but that doesn't mean that we have to succumb to one or the either, right? Um, and that that's wisdom. And I, I realize the more that I know the more I don't know, right? Um, because I'm constantly learning about what other people are experiencing. Um, and it seems like almost as soon as I make up my mind about something, um, you know, someone else's experience informs me that I'm perhaps wrong about that, right? Um, and that it's okay that these two things exist, um, but that it doesn't have to change, you know, how I, how I understand my faith too. Um, that I can still have faith that things may work out or they may not, um, but that I can act on what's good, you know? Um, maybe that didn't make a lot of sense, but I just think those contradictions in life are are perhaps what make us more grounded in um, our humanity um, and also in our understanding of God, uh, that no two people are made the same um, and that it's okay. So, Abby, that made me think of this quote that we just um, used as a reflection for the end of the year in um, the space I'm organizing in right now called the People's Energy Movement. And is it okay if I share it? It's short. Please, please do. Um, So this is uh, Bell Hooks in All About Love, which is um, one of my sacred texts. She says, accepting death with love means we embrace the reality of the unexpected, of experiences over which we have no control. Love empowers us to surrender. We do not need to have endless anxiety and worry about whether we will fulfill our goals or plans. Death is always there to remind us that our plans are transitory. By learning to love, we learn to accept change. Without change, we cannot grow. Our will to grow in spirit and truth is how we stand before life and death ready to choose life. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It just made me think about how um, important it is to be in the present moment and um, that these binaries really are going to be the undoing of us and we need to be living into the complexity and diversity is, is life. (laughs) I I think uh, Sorry, as, as you're sharing that, I'm just I'm just thinking about like for your listeners, if there's local listeners here from Utah, like and and, and particularly if they're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? That there's a there's actually the cool thing about Salt Lake City is that there's a really 
awesome community just emerging in terms of like having these conversations about faith, what our faith means, uh, but also doing like development and mindfulness and grounding work. And I can think of, um, you know, Thomas uh, McConkie. Um, yes. Oh and, my gosh. Uh, as, as a great, uh, as a great guru that it almost feels like this, there's this sort of like Mormon Buddhist sort of space that doesn't really live in one space or another, but that is affirming of, of your faith. Right. And, and there's a lot of folks that feel like very strong members of the church, but that are allowed to look into their experience in a healing way. And also for people that are not, but also able to see faith and wisdom traditions uh, and the value that they can bring in terms of understanding the bigger questions of life. Um, and there's also, you know, other Zen spaces like Two Arrow Zen with Diane Hamilton that also does some great integral human development work. So I'm just pointing that out as a part of your journey, right? If, if you're trying to to do some of that deeper work to understand your faith, um, there might be some some welcoming spaces that might welcome you in your faith and in your own uh, journey. Uh, I don't want to keep you guys for the duration for the entirety of the night because we all know that we could just keep on talking and having a great time. Um, so let's uh, let's draw this to a close. Um, I am incredibly filled by this conversation, Esther Luis. So happy to have you on. Um, I uh, the the final thing that I think I would like you know maybe to hear uh, from you guys on is how. Activism is also a work of letting go. I know that in, in, for me, you know, I, I'm a, I love kind of Eastern spirituality and that's kind of how I protect myself from ultimately burning out is I, I practice, you know, I try to practice some kind of detachment, right? That all I can do is do the work and ultimately I have to let it go, right? That I can only take that seed and I can only put it in the ground, but it, on some level it's outside of my control. Um, and I, this is, you know, Abby brought up, uh, you know, kind of non-duality, um, and that wisdom and mysticism is rooted in this non-dual space. Um, and I think that this, this exercise of, of detachment or, you know, instead of saying detachment, cause that sounds cold, this aspect of letting it go, uh, I think is, is also, um, a key piece of wisdom, um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, on, on, on that idea, I guess. <laughs> I'm, as I'm, as I'm feeling that into like my body, I feel like that's like, there's like just a wisdom component of it that I think it's, it's helpful whether you're in a faith community or community organizer, but, um, I think there's just this question of like how much power do I really have, right? In my case, you know, from a Christian perspective, like I think God being omnipotent, setting everything in some ways as it is with a divine purpose. Uh, and I can only do what I can do, right? And there's this sort of like resignation that this is all I can do and that's okay. Um, and I can always continue to strive to do more, if God wants it to, to be that way. 
And there's a second component of acceptance of the messiness of life, of the contradictions we're going to have. I know that myself as an activist and a person of faith, particularly Christianity, that is so laden with an incredibly violent and oppressive, imperialist, colonialist, sexist, capitalist, you know, uh, history. Um, it can be really unsettling, but I, I, but I also don't feel like I need to make a judgment about the wisdom tradition that has informed me and who I am right now, uh, but rather just to, to sink into like, you know, just indeed like the moment and the presence and the wisdom that there is in it. In some ways, um, uh, listening to the promptings of the Holy Ghost <laughs> uh, or the divine spirit of your Quaker, I guess, uh, for ongoing revelation. So I think, um, yeah, I think we're going to continue finding contradictions everywhere around us, but how do we not exit into like more philosophy, more theory, but rather into more presence, into more connection and intimacy with God's creation, with God themselves. So I think that my framework is similar, but it comes from um, Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Mary Brown. <laughs> and I think this year has been a big lesson for me in letting go. And um, she talks a lot in that book, uh, which is kind of about the shaping change. And um, she has some guide guides for people who are facilitating community spaces and she talks about the importance of presence over preparation and I'm someone who uh I feel safer when I'm overly prepared uh again it's very you know I think um a lot of women have been socialized <laughs> um to feel uh un uh, unable to show up as themselves, um, a lot of people generally, but, uh, it's definitely my experience. And, um, and so this year, yeah, I've been trying to be more present so that I can be connected to the vibes or the, the spirit and be able to move with the spirit. And, um, every time that I have surrendered let go um and just been present with what's happening even in a digital space <laughs> um beautiful things have happened uh hard things have happened um but they've happened the way that they need to go and um yeah and so to me that's really what faith in activism is, I guess, is, is a surrendering and a letting go and, and being just present with yourself and the people around you and the life around you. 
I'm, I'm thinking we should incorporate a video element so that our, our audience can see how often I'm fist pumping in the air <laughs> in agreement with everything that's ever being said. Cause I just am like fist pumping all the time. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm nodding all the time. I'm like, yes. Yeah. So people can see Abby nod and people can see me fist pumping in the air. Uh, uh, any final thoughts, uh, Abby, Esther, Luis, before we uh, before we we sign off? No, I just want to echo Madison's thanks. Um, I, I just am really glad to have had this conversation and um, engage with you guys in this way. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having us and for hosting a space like this and having and asking the kinds of questions that you're asking and. Um, I think it's so critical, uh, especially here in Utah. I think there's a lot of potential in the faith communities here um, and especially the young people of faith here in Utah. So thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm just I'm just grateful for the opportunity that I have to like dive into some of these things, right? And, and like in some ways, um, reconnect with parts of myself. I think this is all a journey. I think I'll, we do this podcast a year from now. I may think about things differently, but my invitation would be for, for anyone in this conversation or who might be listening, right, to just be all right with exploring that and asking yourself, like, what does it really mean to live into your higher purpose? And, uh, and my hope is that the answer to that means that you'll join us in organizing and uh, moving towards justice. But if not, that's okay. Well, Keep exploring. The, in, that, in that vein, um, the final thing, what campaigns and issues should our listeners be tuned into that you guys work on? Yeah, so I'm organizing with the People's Energy Movement. And if um, you are a community organizer, a community builder that's kind of looking for a political home, um, that's, you know, can be supportive of, uh, the kind of organizing you want to do and really like values based values aligned, um, organizing hit us up and yeah, be in community with us. Um, for myself, I do, I do do professional organizing around, uh, questions of the education system and equity. Um, but outside of a professional setting, I do more work for immigrant justice. So um, I am part of uh, uh, a group called Red de Solidaridad that has been doing uh, organizing uh, around uh, families experiencing uh, deportation, uh, either in the process of supporting them when they're going through it but also helping the families that are often left behind because of the separation caused by, by the school system. Um, I also organize with the Sanctuary Network. Um, we have uh, one Sanctuary Church right now, uh, which is uh, uh, the first Unitarian Church uh, close to the University of Utah. Uh, we're always looking for more congregations willing to support. Uh, and so uh, we're open to that and also for families that might need help in terms of finding a congregation or a, or a, a place of worship um, in order to extend their time um, while they're fighting their legal case. And lastly, I'm, I'm trying to figure out as well uh, with some other 
activists and organizers um, how to address the question of the Solid County Jail's collaboration with the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Um, and essentially, it's something that it's a simple memo that can happen internally by a Latina Democratic sheriff, but it's not happening. And so there's a question of like, how do we get to a point where we build enough power and enough understanding to be able to bring humanity into a system that really needs it? Excellent. Thank you both so much, Estera Luis. I've been incredibly filled by this conversation. Uh, and uh, that's that concludes season one of Bristlecone Firesides. <laughs> Thanks for being a part of it. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Bristlecone Firesides. If you liked this conversation, please subscribe and share widely with your friends, family, and neighbors. Consider leaving us a rating through the podcasting app of your choice. For more from Madison, Abby, and the Bristlecone family, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and visit our website to enjoy more earthy content on faith, activism, and belonging to the earth. From the Aspen Mountains, Juniper Forests, Red Rock Deserts, and Salty Lakes of Utah, we wish you peace and goodness as you strive to find yourself in the family of the earth. 